Life Audio. You're listening to Therapy and Theology, and I'm your host, Carly Merclear. This podcast is a space where we explore popular topics and questions related to the convergence of faith, feelings, spiritual formation, and more. My prayer is that through these conversations, we will grow in our awareness of who we are as beloved children of God, learn to acknowledge our needs and emotions with curiosity and compassion, and rediscover the purpose and power of our unique stories through the lens of the gospel. As a licensed therapist and ministry leader, I want to give voice to the many questions we face while cultivating a clearer view of how our faith informs our healing journey. I don't have all the answers, but I am committed to going deeper and walking together. So whether you've been to therapy or know exactly what you believe when it comes to theology, I want to invite you to join this journey as we fearlessly name the complexities of our present reality and press into the hope of the gospel story. So are you ready? Let's jump into today's question and begin this journey together. everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Hey guys, it's Carly from Therapy and Theology. I'm so excited to be diving into part two of this series with Dr. Camden Morganti as we explore what it looks like to have an embodied faith, one that holds our spirituality and sexuality in a healthy and God-honoring way. Last week's episode, we began processing purity culture, identifying a definition, the history of it, and the impact it has on us both emotionally and spiritually. Today, I want to continue where we left off and discuss pathways for recovery, both for our bodies and for our beliefs, and what I like to call embodied faith, this integration of our sexuality and our spirituality. So you mentioned last week, the first step to recovery or reconstruction is this awareness. What does this look like in practice or process? And what should people expect in the journey of reconstructing a healthy view of sexuality? What does it look like in process? is identifying your beliefs and identifying the source, like I said. So I'll have my clients write down on a piece of paper three columns. The first column, like what the belief is. The second column, what's the source in this belief? And then the third column, why? Why did they give you this belief? Why might they have taught this to you? So that's what it looks like practically. And then you were saying, what should we expect in the journey of reconstruction? Um, expect it to take a while, you know, expect We always say in therapy, you didn't get here overnight. It took years of programming to get here. So it does take a while to reconstruct because like we said in our last episode, 
you cannot just think your way into these beliefs. You can't turn them on and off like a light switch and be healed. It has to be an embodied experience. Mm -hmm. So I talk with my clients about developing a new understanding, which is the belief, but also a new experience, which is the emotional and behavioral component. And sometimes that looks like setting up experiences or experiments in your life to help you live out that new belief. What could that look like practically for someone? Yeah. Yeah. An example of that, like I remember one client I was working with, she had this fear of men and this belief that men can't be trusted, which really comes from purity culture. I mean, it comes from other sources too, but a lot of purity cultures that men can't control themselves sexually and men are going to look at you with lust and a lot of fear Mm -hmm. in male-female relationships. And so she had this same fear and distrust of men. And so one of the ways that she tried to live out a new belief is having just small conversations, like just acquaintance with acquaintances that were male, with the barista at Starbucks that's the male, or with, you know, her neighbor at who's going to check his mail or something. Like just experiencing those small brief interactions as safe and as non-sexual. Yeah. Like I can say, hey, how's your day going? And what are you drinking for coffee or something like that without being sexually objectified? Mm-hmm. And so helping her, I was supporting her to do that in ways that felt safe for her and in baby steps. But each little baby step, each interaction helps to strengthen the neural pathways from that new belief of some men can be safe and trustworthy. Not all, because that wouldn't be wouldn't be realistic to say all men are safe Mm -hmm. and trustworthy. But it is realistic to say that Selma helping her set up those experiences and then also avoiding all or nothing Mm -hmm. thinking. Oh, again, like I just demonstrated, not all men are safe. Not all women are safe, you know, like, but some are. Men are, I might say. So avoiding the all or nothing thinking, being able to look for exceptions in her life of men across her life who had felt safe or men that she was able to have platonic friendships with that weren't sexualized. So those are some examples of setting up experience. I love that. Yeah, that's such a great way of doing it. So in this process of reintegration, as I've called it, or reconstruction, I'm curious as to, you know, the way that you see this, this new imagination for our sexuality as believers in the faith. What essential aspects do you see in this integration or how we start to see sexuality as a beautiful part of our personhood given by God? Mm -hmm. I think it can first start with at the head or the cognitive level with the, you know, with the beliefs. So sometimes I encourage my clients to search for truth about the body and about sexuality. Mm. And that can look like some different sources of truth could look like scripture. It could look like church tradition. It can look like trusted experts and reading books and and listening to podcasts and things like that. It also comes from like research, like reading research, trusting science and evidence-based research. And then your own experience. What has your own experience taught you or what do you notice around you? What does others experience teach you? So searching for those sources of truth and coming up with these new beliefs that you feel are supported. It also comes from people embracing their sexuality, whether you're single or married, being able to embrace your identity as a sexual, being aware of yourself and your sexuality and finding healthy and values congruent ways to express your sexuality. So I always want to work within my client's value system, help them figure out what their beliefs and values are. And so for my single clients that want to avoid and abstain from premarital sex? How can you still express your sexuality? How can you experience sensual pleasure using your five senses, using the body? There's just a lot of suppression of the body 
you know, and it's oppression of the sexuality. And that is so hard to turn on and flip the switch once you're married, if you've been doing that for 20 to 30 or 30 years. Like, I want people to be able to continue to make the choices that are aligned with their values, but also to feel comfortable in their sexuality and feel empowered in their sexuality, whether they're married or single, like I said. So that's an important part of embodying our sexuality and spirituality and integrating them yeah, together. I love that. I think it was Deborah Hirsch that talks about just social sexuality versus sexual sexuality, mm-hmm. uh, sensual sexuality. And I just love that ability to see sexuality as as more than just sex, right? I think we th- I say to people all the time, like, what is your definition of sexuality? And oftentimes they actually give me the definition of sexualization, which is very interesting. And so to be able to say like sexuality is, you know, so much more than just sex or engaging in sex, sexual exploration. And so I love that idea of what ways can we embody this? How can we connect to ourselves, to others, and to God? That's great. And how can we experience that as good and as more unholy? I had, I've been saying in my coaching work that one of my goals is to help my clients get their head, heart, and body aligned, you know, like we're talking about, to have that alignment that we're all on the same page, our minds and our beliefs our emotions and and feelings, that's the heart, and then our actions and our body's response. And I had a client who helped me add soul to that because she said, I also have to know that this is honoring of God and that my body is holy and Mm -hmm. sacred in order to like really feel this alignment. And so I added soul. So now I've got head, heart, body, and soul, getting all of those in alignment and integrated so that you not only know that your sexuality is good, but Mm -hmm. you leave that in your heart you feel it in your heart you live it out in your body and you also know that to be true in your soul because you trust that god made your body and you were made in the image of god and that your sexuality is a condemned not sinful or dirty or shameful right oh it's so good so i want to pivot a little bit and because i get asked this question a lot by people at my church and by parents of my teens you know when parents are listening to this kind of thing, I think a lot of times as a parent, and I'm not one, so you could speak into this more than I could, I think there is such a, I would assume, like weight or, you know, feeling of like, I want to teach my children the way, right? The way that is flourishing and abundant and safe, right? And so what would you say some of the best resources or even just from your insights in working with parents for teaching children how to love and respect their bodies? as God does. Um, What's a different way of looking at it so we're not kind of repeating the purity culture movement in our parenting? Yeah. The way of looking at it is the middle path. And I'm a DBT therapist in dialectical behavior therapy. And so we talk about walking the middle path, avoiding the black and white all or nothing. And so often when people come out of purity culture and they become parents and they're raising their kids, there's a sense of purity culture didn't work. I see how it hurt me and all the shame it created. So I must need to just swing the opposite direction and just teach my kids that as long as it's consensual, that any sexual behavior is okay. Because this is our culture's sexual Mm -hmm. ethic today is an ethic of consent. Since the Me Too movement, which was very needed, and I'm glad that we're talking about consent because consent needs to be the bedrock of any sexual ethic, but it doesn't have to be all there is. So one of my big beliefs is we do not have to swing between the extremes of purity culture to this ethic Mm -hmm. of consent, but we can still teach our kids that the sacredness of sex 
and what we believe is God's purpose for sex and God's design for sex. If you still believe that that's within marriage, we can teach that to our kids in a way that is not shaming and does not have those methods of purity mm-hmm. culture. So you're asking about resources. Honestly, the best resource is the parents themselves. Mm-hmm. All good parenting starts with reparenting. Yeah, so good. So reparenting yourself. And doing the hard work of healing yourself from purity culture and figuring out what your beliefs are and what your sexual ethic is, that is what your education to your kids will flow out of. So you have to start with working on yourself, and that's the best resource I can offer you. Not a book or not any other expert in what they say, but just doing your own work to be healthy and to heal in yourself. And then it's also things like, just being available and making it an ongoing conversation and being available and open to questions mm-hmm. with your kids and empowering them with age-appropriate knowledge and information and talk about things like consent and abuse pre- prevention, but also talk about like that God made their bodies and all of their body is good and beautiful, including their mm-hmm. genitals. And then, yeah, just not being afraid to talk about it and to use the proper terms for their genitals or to talk about sex and, and to incorporate your family's values into everyday conversations. A big proponent of it being woven into everyday life rather than a one and done sit down sex yeah, talk. That's so true. I see that so often. It's, it's like, yeah, my parents talked to me about this one time and we never talked about it again. You know, mm-hmm. instead of it being just an ongoing conversation of life, you know, that's so good. I want to circle back to something you said that I think is so powerful that, you know, good parenting starts with reparenting. And I truly believe that's true. I think it's, emotional, healthy, embodied spirituality, it's so helpful to look back at our stories, right? And be able to live out of those stories in light of the newness of our, you know, new creation in in Christ. And something that I I do think is so helpful for parents is to recognize if we're feeling awkward about it, you know, as a parent, then it's going to be an awkward conversation with the kid. And the kid's going to take from that, the message away from that is, oh, we don't talk about this, or this is awkward, right? Or this is not something that I should feel or think, et cetera. And so anytime I do work around sexuality with parents, I'm always like, okay, we're going to talk about it. It's not awkward. Like, let's have this conversation be something that can be so beautiful, but has been, yes, I think, shattered by sexualization and abuse in our culture. And so kind of reimagining that for parents, I think is really, really helpful. Thank you for that. All right. So finally, um, I'd love for you to share maybe a practice or application that listeners can engage in. If you have one or something that you think could be a great takeaway to continue this conversation in their homes, in their relationships or in their communities. Yeah, I think doing like a thought record, like I mentioned earlier, writing down the beliefs and where they came from is a good tool to start with. And also seeing, taking that a step further, because I usually I'll start with that intervention and then I'll add on to it. So my step two is we add on to it by adding columns in for how does this belief affect Mm -hmm. you? What emotions does it create for you? And then what effect does it have on your body? So you might take a belief like, I need to dress a certain way so I don't cause men to lust. And you might say, where does that come from? Maybe I heard that in youth group growing up. Why did they teach me that? Well, they might have, you know, really wanted to prevent problems in the youth group. Like when it comes to like, the male-female relationships, but also they were just teaching what they've always heard. And they were also, it's a way to let men on Mm. the hook. You know, it's a way to not teach young men self-discipline and respect for women, but putting the burden on women as the gamekeepers. Mm. There's that component of it too. And then add another column for emotions. 
So this belief causes me shame. It makes me angry. And then add another column for body. So I feel shame in my body. I feel like I need to cover up. I'm like really anxious when I go out of the house if I'm wearing certain things or maybe I'm suspicious and distrusting of men. Yeah. So looking at like, how does this belief affect you? And that creates more awareness. Like we were talking about this creating, uh, creating awareness. And then the, the next step would be replacing that belief. So that would be this kind of a series of steps I coaching work is first identifying and then starting to deconstruct that belief and then replacing it or reconstructing Awesome. That's a great one. Well, thank you so much for coming and sharing your thoughts and your insights. I would love to, you know, encourage listeners, check out the work that Dr. Hamden's doing and you want some coaching. I know that, that that's a service that you offer. Are you seeing people outside of your state of Tennessee? Yeah, so I have a therapy practice that's just in Tennessee, but my coaching practice is online anywhere in the world, and I work with women or couples for puriculture. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It's really been a pleasure having you. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Therapy and Theology. If you have a question or topic you would like discussed on a future episode, please feel free to email me or drop it in the comments. Also, don't forget to subscribe to have each week's episode instantly downloaded to your podcasts and see the show notes for resources mentioned in this episode. To access more content and join my monthly email list for the latest updates and info, visit my website at carlymarkleer.com. I'm Don Hawkins, inviting you to be encouraged with my weekly podcast, Encouragement for You. To subscribe, go to lifeaudio.com.